Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. This is another podcast of World Wide Wave, the international LGBT news and current affairs show, every week on Australia's first LGBT radio station, Joy 94.9. Surfing the globe, bringing you news, views, and current affairs for the LGBT community. This is the World Wide Wave. It's World Wide Wave time. Joy's international news and current affairs show for and by the LGBTI community. We love taking around the globe one queer story at a time. I'm Matt, and we are live from the fabulous Joy Studios at the magnificent Victorian Pride Centre, where tonight I am joined by Stefan. Good evening. And hello, Alex. Bonsoir. Conflicts across the globe have been uh, has seen a rise in asylum seekers worldwide. Escaping war or persecution can be even more challenging if you are LGBTIQ. We have heard stories of continued persecution in refugee camps and escapes to countries where queer people are still not welcome. And what about when you arrive in your resettlement country? How do you start from scratch to forge a new life in an unknown land? One organisation that is standing by queer asylum seekers is Many Coloured Sky. They support LGBTIQ plus organisations with cap- capacity building, planning and project development and empower those at the margins and intersection of LGBTIQ plus communities to participate fully and e- equally. Tonight we're joined in the studio by Ian Seal, the founder of Many Coloured Sky, which is a group that does lots of work in the area of LGBT asylum seekers. Welcome, Ian. Thanks, Matt. Hi, everyone. Now. Hi. First of all, um, we came across you because we walked into the Victorian Pride Centre and there are absolutely stunning images uh, in the exhibition space at the Pride Centre and we said, oh, what's this and what's it all about? And it's from your organisation. Tell us about the Freedom Is Mine exhibition. Sure, thank you. We're um, obviously really pleased and excited to be able to show the exhibition here at the Pride Centre and to be the the, the second exhibition. So um, to be showing while the building itself is, is an attraction and and you know bringing people in uh, essentially this exhibition is an opportunity for um, members of our queer refugee and asylum seeker peers community to share some aspects of their identity and their stories and their challenges through uh, participating in portraits um, for many asylum seekers are still in the process of, of applying for protection. Um, it's an inherently political process because of the way our country has chosen to deal with asylum seeker issues. Um, and therefore, um, some members have needed to be very cautious about how they represent themselves and how visible they are um, in anything that looks like advocacy. So a number of the images, uh, while revealing uh, important elements of, of a person's identity and story, also hide um, their, their, their physical characteristics and who they are. Which is 
probably a reality for many asylum seekers as they sort of, you know, especially if they're fleeing a country, there's that mix of trying to be yourself but trying to hide as well. Absolutely. It's a really challenging process and, and people have come from places where their survival is often dependent on hiding everything about who they are um, and then as part of the process of seeking protection, they have to prove that they're that mm-hmm. very person they've been hiding, uh, which is incredibly challenging. What are the countries, so Many Coloured Sky, you don't just do art exhibitions. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about what you do and how you support LGBTI asylum seekers. Sure. So, so broadly, we, we call ourselves the Queer Development Agency and we see ourselves as working to amplify the voices and build the capacity of uh, particularly vulnerable and marginalised LGBTQI communities. Uh, that's in Australia and internationally. Um, and of course, here in Australia, um, LGBTQI asylum seekers are a vulnerable group um, because of, of in, government policy. In what way? What, how, how practically does that show? Um, I, I guess in, in, in a couple of ways. So, so firstly, asylum seekers broadly are, are not treated well in this country. Um, that's a, that's a, 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 a tragic debate that we've been having in many years and it's become far more politicised than it needs to be um, and works against uh, often very traumatised uh, people um, feeling safe and feeling comfortable when they do arrive here in Australia. So, so that's obviously an issue for all asylum seekers. Uh, but for those who are LGBTQI, there's the added challenges that, um, yeah, and, and we, we hear this um, from many of our members, that accessing settlement services or um, asylum seeker and refugee services here in Australia, they may experience homophobia and transphobia. Um, a number of them have experienced verbal and even physical harassment in those, those services. Um, their needs are often poorly understood. And yeah, we, we, we can certainly see that LGBTQI organisations may not always understand the needs of people who don't have um, permanency, don't have Medicare, um, and you know, for whom English may not be a, a, a you know, may, maybe a third or fourth language or a language that they're only just beginning to, to learn. Um, and at the same time, asylum seeker and refugee services are not recognising the needs of those who are LGBTQI. Why? Uh, I guess are they are we talking are they religious based groups that are running these sorts of services and that's why or is it it's just a, a low priority for them? It, it's a good question and and I think it's it's fair to say that some organisations are investing far more in, in in understanding these issues and working through it than others. So you know it, it's I, I don't want to um, you know kind of refer to them as a as a, a pack that are behaving badly, mm-hmm. uh, but. I think you know they're often responding to a range of different challenges um, and you know, reacting to trauma and, and issues in their in their broader community. And for some, it may not have hit their radar. It certainly should have. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not excusing them in that, but it may it may not have hit their radar that LGBTQI asylum seekers have different needs and and a different set of challenges from from the others in their cohort. But often, what we hear is it's actually other members or other clients of those services who are the ones who are um, exhibiting you know, prejudice and discrimination against our members. Um, it seems to be that in some cultures there's kind of a, an expectation that you uphold some kind of cis-heterosexual idea of what it means to belong to that particular culture. Um, and sadly, uh, you know, when, when we've heard of incidences of, of harassment in asylum seeker services, it's generally been from, from other people of the same cultural background as our LGBTQI members. Uh, so they're bringing their 
um, their prejudices from their home country and that's sort of where it's land. Yeah, yeah, it seems to be the case. And and then and then you know, what what we're seeing is that the services themselves haven't thought through how to ensure that LGBTQI people are safe. And so any any harassment that they're experiencing is kind of amplified, or their experience of it is amplified by the by the fact that there isn't a positive response. We're speaking with Ian Seal, the founder of Many Coloured Sky, and coming up we're going to explore how capacity, how building capacity in countries outside of Australia works. This is World Wide Wave. Joy 94.9, bringing you the best news and views all week long. Justice C. Ki Un of the High Court of Singapore says Section 377A serves the purpose of safeguarding public morality by showing societal moral disapproval of male homosexual acts. My name is Yang Far. I'm from Ugitaga in Singapore. And I'm proud to be morally disapproved of. <laughs> we are talking all things with many coloured sky tonight. We put the call out, uh, any, uh, talking about immigration, talking about um, asylum seekers. Alex, I know you have, a, you have one. Yes, look, it sounds all trivial in the, in the broadest scheme of things, but um, of our theme tonight and what those people, what many of these people are going through. But I was quarantined in a little fenced-off area in the middle of, uh, I think, was it the Heathrow Airport? Um, in about 2012, I was living in Germany, uh, and I've got a British passport at the time, EU, and an Australian, and my British passport expired, so I thought I'll just work. I didn't, didn't realise till it was too late I was travelling, so I just thought I'll travel into UK with my Australian. Well, of course, it came up on their system, and I had to sit in this little fence um, off area um, where all the public yeah, could walk the past me. Square. The naughty square. It was a white picket fence. It was really funny. It was like in the middle, and they're, they're very polite. But they said, you know, in normal circumstance, we'd um, this would be grounds for deporting, for sending you back. Um, wow. Because I had tried to travel into the country as uh, an Australian citizen, even though I'm also a British citizen. One of these it, weird things. It's it like, does highlight, though, yes. the complexity of the laws that yeah. the average person does not understand yeah. and how easily yeah. this could... It's quite frightening when you're kind of like the officials, you know what airport officials are like. Yeah. You know, the British are not bad. They don't laugh. Some, but, yeah, I think the Australian is still some of the most officious I've seen. You know, um, you know, you know you're in trouble with the Australian um, border protection, but uh, yeah. Anyway, that's my little trivial immigration drama. <laughs> Ian Seal from Many Coloured Sky is with us. Ian, are those? Uh, that's a, a fairly yeah a, a, a trivial example. But is that ringing true with the kinds of things you hear from LGBT asylum seekers coming to Australia? Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. Um, what what we see. It, what we see often um, is that different, you know, people who seem to have similar stories, similar backgrounds, similar expectations of, of you know, safe passage into Australia um, have very different experiences. So, um, yeah, the, the, the processes that the department use to assess people and to allow people to, to reside in this country um, seem to vary. Uh, and you know, we, we know from working and to support many of our members through the interview process for a protection visa um, that it very much depends on which officer you have. Um, and it seems to depend on you know, which side of the bed that officer got out of that, that morning mm-hmm. uh, because, yeah, because sometimes they ask incredibly difficult and insensitive and inappropriate questions 
um, and mistrust every single thing they're hearing uh, from from our members who are, you know, essentially in one of the most important interview processes of, of their lives. This, this is a an hour of their life that makes a difference to whether they can live safely in Australia or not. Um, and it's quite shocking to see how different um, the experiences of two people with very similar backgrounds can be. Once they arrive in the country, and as you mentioned, this is a whole new world to them and their language skills may not, you know, language might be the first barrier they have. Um, you, or Many Coloured Sky, has some programs to help, I guess, um, uh, make that process a bit simpler. Tell us a bit about those. So we, we um, as I said before, we're, we're a development organisation and I guess what that means is that we want to strengthen and support communities themselves to be able to meet their own needs. Um, where we began in working with LGBTQI asylum seekers was to provide a, a safe space for people to come together and meet and talk about what they would like and talk about what kind of programs and supports they needed. Um, and pre-COVID, that was largely about social support and connection to services. Um, during the COVID period, obviously things became far more complicated and, and um, the Australian government chose not to support anyone on a temporary visa with job seeker or job keeper or any kind of welfare support. So a lot of our work deferred to being about um, providing material support to people who are really struggling. So that included grocery delivery and we used it as an opportunity to do mental health, health check-ins with, with people um, as well as providing small sums of, of money so that people could could um, provide could buy data uh, to stay connected to, to us and to each other and to the broader world. Uh, but a lot, of, a lot of what we've been able to do, you know, in between lockdowns and and now when you know touchwood and hopefully we're we're, we're post lockdowns um, is look at building people's computer skills their employability in various ways their english language skills um, but fundamentally it's about working with them as a community to uh, and, and leveraging our privilege really to to build connections and resources for them uh, we have a very clear plan that the, that the group are working through, um, that they uh, developed an, a nine-point plan looking at what they need to be a, a strong and resilient community and to be able to support other people as they arrive in the country, um, as well as supporting each other. Uh, and it's very exciting to be working through that with them. How important is that peer-to-peer -peer support? I mean, I it, it's as you, met, you sort of said there, it's one thing for us to say this is how things are done it's another thing for somebody from their own culture or, or, or another just somebody who's gone through that asylum seeking experience to say this is what happened to me this is how I handled it yeah it's it's absolutely important and one of the uh, one of the things that we did up front um, you know, as the pandemic began was employ a peer support officer um, so someone who is himself a, a gay asylum seeker still still going through that process of seeking protection here in Australia um, and initially we were only able to to fund him for one day a week uh, we're now up to three and a half days a week and he um, is essential in kind of you know providing that kind of sense of, of us as an organisation as somewhere where people can trust and feel safe to come to, and helping them to build uh, build communication and support uh, within the group. They're an incredibly diverse group. They're from 19 different countries, um, and every letter of the LGBTQI plus alphabet. So very, very diverse experiences, but they they have a fundamental understanding of what each other have been through um, that creates a very strong bond and sense of connection between them.
So we've been very much focused on what you do here in Australia, but you're also doing work internationally, capacity building work internationally. Um, what are the countries you're working in and, uh, and, and how, how does that work? So we're in sub-Saharan Africa and in Southeast Asia at this time. So that's um, Kenya, Uganda and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, all, all countries that face real challenges for their LGBTQI mm. community members. Um, we're also working in Indonesia, uh, PNG. We have a very large project. Probably our largest international project is in the Philippines. Um, and we're very excited to be at the point that that project is now about to launch across the Asia-Pacific. And what, what does that project involve? Is that... Um, I guess there's always that risk of, again, the outsider coming in to tell people what to do in their own country... How do you build capacity but still um, how do you support those local groups to grow themselves? That's a really important question and and you know having having worked um, as a consultant internationally um, on various projects for a number of years before many colored sky was founded, um, I often found myself in the position of being you know launched into someone's community as the expert um, <laughs> and I'm there to solve the problem that the funder has decided is the is the key problem rather than the challenge that the, the community themselves have have um, decided upon and that's really where we came from that's really why why we developed as an organization it was about wanting to work with communities on the issues that they identify, um, work with the strengths that they already have and reinforce those strengths and offer a sense of resource, bringing in the things that they may not have had the opportunity to access as a community themselves. So uh, we're certainly not telling people what to do and we're not... Um, we're not driving our own agenda or our own priorities. Um, the beginning of every project in every community is a, is a long process of understanding what are their priorities and where might we be able to offer something valuable into supporting their work on those priorities. Our guest tonight is Ian Seal, the founder and uh, leader of Many Coloured Skies here uh, in Melbourne. And uh, coming up, we'd like to discuss, you've got one of your projects is around queer children, so we'd like to explore that one a bit more. This is Worldwide Wave. The world's longest-running radio show dedicated to international LGBTIQ news and current affairs. This is World Wide Wave from Australia's Rainbow Radio Station, Joy 94.9. On Joy 94.9, on the show that takes you around the globe, one queer story at a time, World Wide Wave. And a special hello to everybody listening to us on podcast. You can subscribe to receive our podcasts automatically, either at joy.org. AU forward slash World Wide Wave or iTunes or your favourite podcast platform and don't forget to leave a review. Now coming up Yes, coming up tonight, but in a couple of weeks something huge which of course is Joy's Radiothon back Back bigger, better, and bonkers. Oh, bonkers. Well, Because we 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 all go a bit silly in Radiothon time, but that's all good fun because it's all about uh, it's Joy's biggest fundraiser for the year and it really keeps us going. And we've pledged to raise how much in our show? How much should you dob us in for, Stephen? Yes, you. $2,000. We're going to have a special Radiothon show running for two hours. Uh, Radiothon's from the 30th of March. It kicks off through to the 8th of April. And there are massive number of prizes to win and it's all hidden in the vault. The vault. Mm. And all revealed. Yeah. And we'll also have um, the Hours of Power will be back. 
And on the last day of Radiothon, there'll be a huge rooftop party. If you haven't been to the rooftop here at the Pride Centre, it is fantastic. Um, huge rooftop party and the, 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 everybody will have a chance to unlock the vault for this major pride draw, prize draw. So stick with us and we'll have lots more on that coming up. Joy, 94.9. Our guest tonight is Ian Seal, the founder and leader of Many Coloured Sky, and we're talking all things LGBT asylum seekers and refugees. Um, Ian, we were just touching before on uh, LGBT children, which is like a special needs subset of a special needs group of a spe- you know it's it's a, a really um, it's a group that's not really talked about much, let alone in the asylum context. What's the project you've got going there? So we've been, uh, perhaps if I can take a step back and and give you the origin story on this. Um, Ten years ago, I was a consultant to UNICEF um, and my my role there was reviewing the Philippines National Strategy on HIV Prevention. Uh, As part of that work, I ran focus groups with um, various various populations of young people who were perceived to be at risk in terms of HIV or affected by HIV. And... When I came to meet with those who were um, young MSM in the in the charming language of the of the HIV sector, um, I was in a room of people who were ten, eleven, and twelve years old, and who wow. were sex working with adults. Oh wow! Um, but because they identified as gay, um, somehow they weren't seen as um, yeah, kind of vulnerable, exploited kids. They were seen as agents of their own sexuality. Uh, but when I talked to the kids themselves, of course, their, 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 their sex working came from the fact that they'd been booted out of their homes, they would be, they'd been bullied out of school. Survival. They, they, absolutely, a survival. They had no other opportunities to, to, you know, to look after themselves. And so I, I took back to UNICEF at the time my concern that, you know, just teaching these kids about safe sex and how to use condoms wasn't going to solve the problem. Um, and the work that really needed to be done was to provide um, a, a roof over their heads, uh, opportunity to go to school, three meals a day, and someone who loved and, and nurtured them. Um, and so the project really grew from that. Um, I went back to some of the grassroots LGBT organisations who I'd been introduced to um, via UNICEF. Uh, and talk to them about what they saw as the needs of, of these kids. Uh, and ve- yeah, very much as, as I'd heard from the kids themselves, they saw the need was to change the, the, the picture of homophobia and transphobia in the Philippines community. So it's, a, it's been a very significant project to attempt to do that work. Uh, what we've been doing over several years is developing pilots, so with the young people themselves and with, with LGBT adults in the Philippines, developing pilots that look at how we work with the kids themselves and what peer support they need, how we work with parents and families to change their attitudes, how we engage with schools and shift the education system, and how we work more broadly with government. And yeah, it, it sounds like a recipe for banging your head against a brick wall, <laughs> um, and it certainly felt like that for a, for a few years, but uh, very excitingly we have made real progress, and there's now real interest for, from some large NGOs, such as Save the Children, to look at how this scales up as a national project, um, and we're about to, to launch a funding round that will enable some elements of this to be trialled in other countries across the Asia-Pacific as well. Ian, the projects that you're taking on, they're not simple, they're not, you know, um, 
can I say, they're not sexy, but they're absolutely needed. What drives you to keep doing what you do? Um, good question. Um, I, I, I guess, yeah, the, 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 the glib answer or the short answer might be, um, you know, I think if... if and this is a line I'm stealing from someone else, and I don't even know who, who the someone else is. But yeah, if, if a problem's big enough to solve it in solve in your own lifetime, then it's probably not big enough to be really challenging. Um, I do I do like to take on real challenges, but fundamentally, I guess my experience and so I, so working you know, my, my my early career, I was the I was the first um, yeah LGBTQI youth worker employed in in Victoria way back in 1994. Right. Um, so I set up set up the yeah the first funded programs. For, for queer kids here in, in Melbourne um, and along that journey um, ran a, a program called Safe in Schools that was a precursor to Safe <gasps> Schools, um, set up PFLAG nationally um, and yeah, I, I guess I, I saw the power of community You know, I, I was very, very um, I'm very proud of, of that work but I certainly don't want to say that it was my work it was about community working together and about bringing people with passion and commitment and and I do believe that you can you can move mountains if you if you have that kind of passion and if you have genuine community connection and engagement uh, and that's what we see in some really challenged environments is people who are really passionate and what we can do is help to resource that passion and create change. And speaking of community, people can get involved in Many Coloured Sky. They can they can volunteer and, and donate. Tell, tell us what they can get involved in. Absolutely, um, the, the the D word donate is a is a yep. is a great one for us. Yeah, we 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 see ourselves as a champion of unpopular causes, and that's not a great funding model. Mm. Um, so any donations are very welcome. We're a, we're a registered charity, so you can receive a tax deduction for for any donation that you make to us. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. We're we're also um, always looking for volunteers who can help us in in particular areas. You know, people with social work or community development backgrounds, people with research backgrounds, um, are really valuable and 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 play, play a really key role already in in, in much of our work. We're a, you know we we're a, a, an organisation of less than 1.5 FTE uh, mm-hmm. paid roles, um, and so we rely very strongly on having having skilled volunteers who support our work. And what's next for you and Many Coloured Sky? Um, I guess we're looking at you know po- post COVID. Let, let's hope we're post COVID um, <laughs> that we can return to our roots. You know, we in in all of our projects internationally and here in Australia, we, we did have to default to providing that material support to keep communities going um, over the last two years, and um, that's 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 not our core business. Our core business is is that that work of of supporting communities themselves to grow and achieve their long term aims. So I'm really excited to get back to that. Um, and yeah, I, I mentioned before that we we, we have a, a project that will be kind of launching across the Asia Pacific. Um, that will fund four LGBTQI organisations in four different countries across the Asia Pacific to trial ele- elements of that work we're doing in the Philippines. And I'm really excited to see where that takes us and takes those communities. Great, we'd mm-hmm. love to speak to one of them when it's up and running and and uh, find out their experience and what it's doing. Uh, congratulations on your work. Where can people go to find out more about it? 
We uh, we're not we're not great on social media. You can find us on Facebook and on Instagram, but um, don't expect us to be mm. popping up in your feed every day. Um, and yeah, and that and that's so you're part- after a social media volunteer. There's one. <laughs> absolutely, <okay>. absolutely. <laughs> it's it's partly about needing to be cautious about what we promote mm. and who who is seen, uh, but it's also about being busy and, and doing other things. Uh, we also have a fairly comprehensive website website, so that's mm. just manycoloredsky.org. Fantastic. Ian Seal from Many Coloured Sky, thank you so much for dropping in and uh, good luck on your future projects. Thank you. From coming out to reaching out, fighting for change or battling to be heard, these are the stories of the diverse rainbow community from across the globe. Coming to you from Australia's LGBTIQ radio station, Joy. Hola a todos, hello everyone, this is Sergio Tobar Velarde from Mexico City, director of the film Four Moons, and I want to say hello to everyone listening through Joy 94.9. Radiothon is coming March 30, and we're giving you the chance to unbolt the vault to win thousands of dollars worth of prizes. Keep listening to Joy for more exciting details. Receive LGBT news from around the world throughout the week. Like World Wide Wave on Facebook now. A big thank you to our guest tonight, Ian Seal, the founder of Many Coloured Sky. You can find them at manycoloredsky.org or on the socials. And don't forget that exhibition is running here at the Victorian Pride Centre just for this week. So come in and see it. And thank you to everyone who's uh, interacted with us on messages, Facebook, Adam. James, Peter, a heap more. And behind the scene, though, we have to thank our podcaster, Peter, our social media master, Dean, and also our our spreadsheet guru, Damien. Damien. Yes. Yes, thank you, What would we do without them? Absolutely nothing. Thanks for listening to another podcast from World Wide Wave, the show that takes you around the globe one country at a time. World Wide Wave is the international news and current affairs show on Australia's LGBT radio station, Joy 94.9. You can listen live every Tuesday night on 94.9 FM in Melbourne and online at joy.org.au. You'll find all our podcasts at joy.org.au slash worldwidewave or follow us on Facebook for the latest international LGBT news Search W3Joy on Facebook now. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.